Good morning. My name is Jason. I'm the strategy pastor here. Definitely a privilege to be able to be here this morning and share this message with you. We're, we're in the second part of this series, What Would It Take? And, and we kicked off this series asking this question, what would it take for your brother to convince you that he was in fact the son of God? Uh, and and as, we've been, as we've been talking through this series and asking this question, like I, I've been thinking through like, what would it actually be like to be raised with Jesus as your older brother. I mean, can you even imagine that? Like Jesus never tattletailed ever on any of his siblings. And yet, and yet he, they always got in trouble. I mean, if you were James, the brother of Jesus, how frustrating would that be? Hey, okay, so as the oldest of four, I know, I know for a fact that siblings like to they like to try and poke at each other and they like to try and get each other in trouble, right? Any of you guys have siblings or have, yeah, you know, so you know that's true, right? Um, I wonder what James and his brothers and sisters would have been, I mean, I can only imagine that they were trying to do everything they can to try and set traps for Jesus, to try and get Jesus to like flip his lid or, or maybe get angry, just to, just to get him in trouble just one time, but, but he never did. He never did. I, I, I bet that's probably why Jesus was so stinking good at spotting traps, thanks to his brothers and his sisters. The, the one question that, that I've wrestled with for, for a while, and then especially in preparing this message is, like, I wonder at what point did Jesus become self-aware, right? So, so Jesus is God, Right? I mean, you got God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The Trinitarian God is described throughout the pages of Scripture. Uh, at, at what point did Jesus, you know, God, who's always existed, and then in this moment, he puts on flesh, is, is, comes into this world as, as baby Jesus. So, you know, maybe it's at like six or seven or eight years old, like, that he becomes self-aware. Like, I, how did that play out? Like, I, I'm God. Like, whoa. Okay, so then can you imagine that conversation between like eight-year-old Jesus and like four-year-old James? Hey, James, guess what? I'm God. <laughs> like that, there is no wonder why James, right? That this guy who was raised as the younger brother of Jesus did not believe in Jesus for most of his life. I mean, James had to have been convinced and you can see why. Why, why Jesus, he was probably convinced that Jesus was one of the most arrogant, deluded, like crazy people on the whole planet. Like who claims to be God? And, and, and for me, like as the oldest of four, you know, I, and, and having gone to like Bible college, like I, I was labeled quite a bit by my siblings, having gone to Bible college. Like anytime there was like a religious or a spiritual conversation that we brought up in our family, it was always, oh, like well, I wonder what the Bible student thinks. Like, I mean, that was, it was always, I can't even imagine someone having claimed to be God, the types of labels that his siblings would have, would have placed on him. So this question, right? What would it take? What would it take for your brother to convince you that he was in fact the son of God. Like what would it take for James to have been convinced that his older brother Jesus was in fact the path to life, both abundant life and eternal life? Like what would it take? What would it take for James to have been convinced that everything that was written in the Jewish scriptures were all pointing to his big brother, 
Within the pages of these Jewish scriptures, what we call our Old Testament, there's over 300 prophecies about this Messiah, this coming king who would free the Jewish people and bring freedom to the whole world. What would it take for James to have been convinced that all those prophecies were pointing to Jesus? Now, now you have to understand that in this culture, in this era, like everything there was, was built around these Jewish scriptures. Everything was built around these prophecies. Like that's every, okay, in the same way that we talk about football, they talked about those prophecies, okay? So, so what would it take for James to have been convinced that every single one of those 300 prophecies were pointing to his big brother? Wait, before, before we go any farther, let me, let me, uh, let, let me pray. Heavenly Father, uh, I thank you because you sent your son here to this earth to be born as a baby, to, to, to live a perfect life. And that must have been difficult to, to even have your own family not believe you. And, and there's only one thing, there's only one thing that could have convinced James and his siblings that he was in fact the son of God. And that's, that's Jesus because you died and you rose from the dead. And so father, if if the resurrection of Jesus was enough for James, if that's enough for me, may it be enough for all of us. May that be all the proof that we need. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, guys, uh, last week, Shay did a fantastic job teeing up uh, this series. If you missed last week, I would really encourage you to go back, check out grumlaw.com slash messages or go to Grumlaw Church, anywhere you guys grab your podcast, you'll be able to get caught up. Uh, and, and really, Shay dove really uh, deeply into this, this idea, like what would it take for, for you to be convinced that your brother was in fact the son of God. And then towards the end of the message last week, uh, Shay brought up this, this incredible point because in this, in this letter that James wrote, right, the brother of Jesus who had become convinced because of the resurrection that Jesus was in fact God, he, he wrote this idea in his letter that our faith, if it's not backed up by the way that we live, is dead and useless. It's, it's basically just hollow language. But, but James he, he has seen people take this way too far. You see, he's seen people within the church, he's seen Jesus followers uh, that, that have become so incredibly obsessed with, with doing the right thing, right? With helping little old ladies across the street, with uh, feeding the poor, with ultimately following the rules. He's seen people become so obsessed with following the rules that they ignore the fact that they in fact need Jesus becomes so obsessed with doing the right thing, with following the rules that they, they've ignored their need for their savior. And, and I think for, for all of us, when we, when we become obsessed with following the rules, I think the natural next step for us is that we become judgmental of, of all of the things that, that, that people are doing around us that we don't necessarily agree with or we don't like. Nobody, nobody likes a judgmental person. How many people agree with that? How many people, you, get, you don't like judgmental people, right? Yeah, all of us. Maybe if you didn't raise your hand, maybe you are judgmental. I don't know, you like yourself. Um, nobody likes a judgmental person. And it seems like this world especially doesn't like judgmental Christians. Heck, I don't like judgmental Christians. I think that judgmental Christians are some of the most obnoxious people on the planet. And, and being like anti-judgment, being anti-talking about people behind their back, it's not just a Christian thing. Like, this is just a human being thing. Like, we, we don't like when people are 
Judgmental. So before we go any farther, I think we need to draw a line in the sand. Like, what does it mean to be judgmental? We need to get some definitions. So what does it mean to be judgmental? Being judgmental is standing at a distance, standing at a distance, telling telling others where you believe that they've messed up. And and it could be it could be that you're you're casting judgment because simply because of your opinions. Or or maybe maybe you're casting judgment because uh, someone has done something to hurt you. Or or maybe they've hurt someone that you love. Or, or maybe you're casting judgment because of, of your values or your beliefs. Maybe it's because of the Bible, maybe it's because of something else that you've become convinced of and you're, and you're, you're judgmental or people are judgmental because of that. So being judgmental, right? It's, it's standing at a distance, telling others where you believe that they've messed up. But what it's not, what, what being judgmental is not. Being judgmental is not when you in love privately have a conversation with your spouse telling them, hey, like the way that you spend your time or your money, like it, it, it's bothersome to me. Let, let's, let's have a conversation about that. That's not being judgmental. Be, being judgmental is not having a conversation privately in love with your son or with your daughter telling them why lying is such a bad thing and they've been caught and, and here's why lying is bad. Being judgmental, that's called parenting right? Being judgmental is not uh, in your connect group, having a private conversation in love with someone in your connect group about maybe something that you've seen or something that you've heard. And you're again, in love privately, having a conversation with someone, uh, sharing with them about how they could live more and more like Jesus. So, So if you're contemplating like having a conversation, opening your mouth and you're wondering like, is this being judgmental? or is it not? Uh, Three things to kind of keep in mind. Being judgmental is not. Being judgmental is not driven by love. It's not based in relationship and it's not done respectfully in private. So, so if you're thinking, okay, I wanna, I wanna have this conversation, I have something that, that I, I really, I have on my heart that I wanna share with someone, make sure that it's first driven by love, based in relationship, and done respectfully and private. And if you follow just those simple, three simple things, and it might seem like common sense, but I think that sometimes we just act out in judgment because it's easier. But if you follow these three simple things, then you can be assured that it's not being judgmental. But, but what is being, being judgmental? We see it all the time, right? It's, it's siblings who are constantly tattletaling on each other or telling their parents about something uh, just to get the other person in trouble. And we may or may not have experienced that like all summer with our kids and our neighborhood kids. Like seriously, uh, Laura's laughing because she knows it's true. Um, <laughs> That, that like someone, either one of our kids or our neighborhood kids like may or may not have come into our home like 35 times a day. He bit me, she stepped on me, she kicked me, she spit, spit on me. He kicked, like, it was, it was kind of, but that's being judgmental, right? Just trying to get the other person in trouble. Uh, I hate to say it though, I, I think that I think it's probably my fault. I'm pretty sure, Laura, sorry, that uh, it's genetic. <laughs> so um, as a kid, uh, being firstborn, uh, I had this incredibly high sense of justice and a, a, low, a really low sense of discretion, which is a really, really bad combo. So sorry, Laura, it was genetic. They got it from me. <laughs> being judgmental, right? But we see, we see it all the time. Like we see it on Facebook and I was gonna pull some images, but I didn't wanna like offend anyone. Um, so uh, being judged, we, we see it on Facebook, right? Sometimes people post stuff either political or like religious or spiritual. And it's, it's like they're on a fishing expedition for judgmental people. And it's like shooting fish in a barrel. Like all you do, is throw something out there. And it's like, you get this massive Facebook fight. Like it's being judgmental. 
And, and, it, and it's, it's not cool. Probably one of the worst uh, like pieces of being judgmental that I, I've seen in a long time um, that drives me absolutely crazy are judgmental church signs. Yeah, let's check these out. These, are, these, these aren't even the worst ones. These are just the ones I could put up on the screen. Okay, many who seek God at the 11th hour die at 1030. I, okay, I wanna go to your church. That sounds great. Okay, how about, how about this one? How about this one? I kissed a girl and I liked it. Then I went to hell. Okay, okay, next one, yeah. Um, stop, drop, and roll, won't work in hell. Come to Sunday morning worship at 10 a.m. Bethel, I'm coming. I wanna go now. All right, and this last one might be one of my favorite. Whoever stole our mower, God will get you. <laughs> really? What kind of Hickville church is this? Seriously, being judgmental, right? I mean, church signs, being judgmental, right? Standing at a distance, telling others where you believe that they've messed up. If you stole their mower, just return it, okay? Seriously. <laughs> Thanks for your confession. Uh, or or, maybe, or maybe, th- maybe this hits a little closer to home. Maybe like... Have you guys ever had like an entire conversation with like your neighbor or your spouse and, and, and through the course of that conversation, like you figured out the answers to some of the world's biggest problems. You figured out like, well, if this people group would just do this or stop doing this or, or with your neighbor, right? You're trying to figure out like, how can we make our neighborhood better? And you, you've got it, you figured this out. Like if this neighbor would just leave the neighborhood, if we can drive them out, then our neighborhood will be better. Or you're, you're talking with your spouse and you're like, well, Okay, I, I know I know I'm in the doghouse, but if we just do this, it, it's really your fault because of this, and it's my. But but if you change here, then then I won't be in the doghouse anymore, and we'll have a better relationship. And, and and after the course of this conversation, like you're feeling pretty good about yourself, till you realize that that entire conversation was all up in your head, right? An imaginary conversation deserves a real conversation. An imaginary conversation deserves a real conversation. Let, let's just sit on that one for a minute. Wives, please don't elbow your husbands, okay? Don't, don't do that. Uh, who, who is it? Who is it that maybe in this moment, as we were talking about that, you're like, yeah, maybe it was my boss, my spouse, a friend of mine. You need to have that real conversation. Why do, why do we do this? Like, I, I know I, even this week, like I found myself, because I mean, I was preparing for this message and that, that line was rattling around my head and I was like, crap, I keep having imaginary conversations with my wife. I should probably, and it always turned out way better when I had the real conversation. Why do we do this? Why do I have these imaginary conversations? And I know, I know that these conversations that I have in my head, like they're not practice for the real conversation. It's just me being judgmental. Why do we do this? For me, as I've been processing this week and trying to figure out like, like why, why am I being judgmental? Like why is this a struggle for me? I think most often for me, it's because of feelings of superiority. Like I, I just believe that somehow I'm better. And I was having a conversation with Laura. We were talking about this message. And for her, like there were some things that she was sharing with me and it was, it was driven by feelings of insecurity. And so maybe it's one or the other for, for us. But what is it? I, I, maybe maybe like, like you... You post something online, like making your marriage look really, really great, or, or you attack someone else's relationship uh, simply to cover up uh, the shortcomings in your own marriage. Or, or maybe it's morality. Maybe, maybe you're quick to point out where other people are doing things wrong uh, be, because of feeling embarrassed about some of your own shortcomings, your own failings. I, I remember 
uh, it was probably 14 years ago, maybe not quite that long, 13 years ago, that uh, was, was sitting, I was after, it was after a youth group was uh, having a conversation with this lady who was mentoring my wife, and um, I, I remember I, I came there after a youth group and was, was like on a rant about bad drivers. Anyone else ever really frustrated with bad drivers? Yeah, a couple of us in there, I feel you there. Um, and I was on this rant about like how everyone's a terrible driver. And I remember this lady, she just started asking me questions. Like, well, why do you believe they're terrible drivers? And she kept asking and probing and digging deeper and deeper and deeper until I finally said what was actually in my heart. Why do, why do you think that? Because I believe I'm a better driver than everyone else on the road. Like, like are you serious? Like, and, and I had that thought in that moment, like if that crept in about driving, like, where has that judgmental spirit crept in other areas of my life? So when it comes to being judgmental, when it comes to judgmental people, what, what, what does James have to say? And let's, let's keep in mind that what he learned, he learned from his big brother, Jesus. So we're gonna take a look this morning at James chapter four, verses 11 through 12. It says, don't speak evil against each other, dear brothers and sisters. If you criticize and judge each other, then you are criticizing and judging God's law. But your job is to obey the law, not to judge whether it applies to you. God alone who gave the law is the judge. He alone has the power to save or to destroy. So what right do you have to judge your neighbor? Man. Those are some pretty powerful words. I'm sure that as James finished penning that, I mean, he can't really do a mic drop, but maybe a pen drop. Like, I mean, that's some pretty powerful stuff. And why, why would he say this? Why, why would he say, don't speak, e I mean, like, don't speak evil. Like, James, we're talking about being judgmental. Like, why would you use such incredibly strong language? Like, why would you say, don't speak evil? evil. And I think it's for a couple of reasons. I think as, as James is, is processing, like why being judgmental is such an issue, why did he say don't speak? I think it's because in that moment when we're being judgmental, we are trying to take the place of God. That, that in that moment, we're saying, God, I, I know that you've told us how we're supposed to live. I know that you've given us this law with like 613 rules, or even you just look at like the big 10, right? The 10 commandments, like you've told us the way we're supposed to live. But, but you know what, in this moment, I don't believe that your law is sufficient. And so I'm gonna step in and take your place. And I think that that's why James says, don't speak evil. Being judgmental is speaking evil. And I think it's in direct contest with James chapter two, verse eight, where he says, love your neighbor as yourself. That's how we're supposed to conduct ourselves. So, so when we cast judgment, we're saying that, God, your, your law is insufficient. God, I don't believe that you care enough. I don't believe that you're good enough. I don't think that I can trust you to take care of this situation, to take care of this person. So I'm gonna step in and take your place. I mean, clearly as James is writing this, I mean, this is, this is strong, strong language. Like something must have happened in the church to, to cause James to, to put this, to pen this, for us to read for all time. And, and what's really interesting is that a lot of the books, a lot of the letters, uh, specifically in the New Testament, actually over half of those letters were written by this guy named Paul. And, and Paul and the other authors, most of them wrote the letters with the same intention in mind, that they, they wrote a letter to a specific person or to a specific church. Like Paul wrote the letter of Timothy to this guy named Timothy. 
right? I mean, super creative, right? They're really good at naming things. Um, and, and Paul wrote this letter of Ephesians to the church in Ephesus. But, but if you look at the letter of James, James didn't write it to any one particular church. When James wrote this letter, he, his intention for this letter was that it would be copied and passed around to every church in the first century. Because James had begun to hear rumors and hear accounts and hear stories about how Jesus' followers were becoming characterized as judgmental, critical, slanderous, backbiting, and gossiping. And, and it was driving him crazy. I think maybe he might have had a glimpse into the 21st century because I think that's still an issue. I mean, look at the church signs. Even the church leaders in this country are having trouble with this. James was pretty ticked about this whole thing. I mean, to, to the extent that in the verses right before this passage in 4, 11, and 12, in the verses right before this, as he's teeing this up, he's saying that this is driven by this attitude of pride and arrogance, and that, that those, who, those who conduct themselves and speak in this way and live in this way are set up as, get this, an enemy of God. I don't know about you guys, but I personally have no desire to be categorized or classified as an enemy of God. That, that, sounds, that sounds terrible. And, and James, he, he learned this incredible distaste for judgmental, legalistic people from his older brother, Jesus. Uh, Jesus, as he was as he was traveling and, and teaching and performing miracles during that three-year span of his public ministry, that there were several different occasions where Jesus came down on people. He, he came down on people who were the religious leaders of the day. These were like people that classified themselves as the religious elite, who, who believed that they had been keeping the law perfectly. And because of their position of having kept the law perfectly, they, they were casting judgment. They were being judgmental. They believed that because of how great they were, that they could stand at a distance and tell others every place that they had messed up and, and broken God's law. And Jesus was so mad at them that, that, that he actually called them on several different occasions. He, he called them a whitewashed tomb. I mean, saying that, that you, you religious elite, you, you you're so judgmental, you're full of death. Another place he called them a brood of vipers, right? You guys are so full of poison that everything you say and everyone you interact with is infected with this poison. <laughs> Probably one of my favorite descriptors of these Pharisees, right? These religious elite, where he said that your disciples, that the people that are following you, that are becoming like you, are becoming twice the sons of hell that you are. And Je Jesus was so mad. James was so mad. Like why, why, were, why were Jesus and James so mad? Why, why did James want, want to make sure that the church, both the first century church and the 21st century church, why did he want so desperately to make sure that we had absolutely nothing to do with this sort of behavior? Three things, three things. First, because it's opposite of the character of God. It's opposite of the character of God. The second thing, because the law already tells us that we're broken people. Like the law, God, he doesn't need our help. And I think that's why James ended uh, that passage by saying like, what right do you have? What right do you have? But, it, but it's even bigger than those first two reasons. 
Because what Jesus came to do, his life, his death, and his resurrection, it, it proved, it proved that everything in the law was fulfilled. Everything in the law was fulfilled when Jesus came. He predicted his own death and his own resurrection, and then he pulled it off. And in that moment, when he rose from the dead, he proved that everything in the law was fulfilled. We, we, we no longer have to stand. We no, no longer should ever stand in judgment of other people. And so this morning, if, if, as you're, if as you're evaluating your own life and you're thinking like, wow, like he predicted his own resurrection. And, and if you've never come to that place where you've placed your trust in Jesus, I'd encourage you even right now in this moment, that you can do that. You can, you can just tell God, even just in the quietness of your own, God, I trust you. God, God, I believe that what you did, you did for me. Because salvation is free by faith in Jesus. So then for those of us who choose to be judgmental, when, when we beat someone up with the law, judgment devalues the cross. When we act and speak in such a way, I think that's why James said, don't speak evil. Judgment devalues the cross. So, so this morning, let's, let's learn from what Jesus and what his brother James said. Uh, being, being judgmental, it's so super ugly. It's ugly because it's not loving. It's ugly because it's not kind. It's ugly because it's not necessary. It's ugly because it's not helpful. It's ugly because it's not my job because I'm, I'm so messed up. It's ugly because it's so arrogant and it's ugly because it's not like Jesus. Guys, this morning, if, you, if you're here this morning and you're not a Jesus follower, I, I'd, I'd encourage you with this. You have my permission to call me out, to call other Jesus followers out. If you, if you see us or hear us being judgmental, remind us judgment devalues the cross. You don't have to believe it but we do. Judgment devalues the cross. Guys, there, if you are a Jesus follower here this morning, like, let me encourage you. There's so much at stake. There's so much at stake. We don't have time for being judgmental. And so if I'd encourage us with just a couple things here this morning, get busy, get busy loving people. If, if you remember nothing, remember this this morning. Go so far out of your way to love those around you that you don't even notice the stuff that you don't like. Go so far out of your way to love others that you don't even notice the stuff that bothers you anymore. And remember, an imaginary conversation deserves a real conversation because it's the loving thing to do. You find yourself having that imaginary conversation, love that person enough to have that real conversation. And maybe, maybe even this morning, if, if, you're, if you're thinking about maybe it's my neighbor, maybe it's my boss, maybe it's a coworker, um, send them a text this morning. Say, hey, let's, let's chat. You don't need to tell them you're having an imaginary conversation, but let them know that it's time. Maybe if it's your spouse, you're sitting next to the person or he's your kid, you're sitting next to that person, you realize like, I need to have a real conversation with you. Just like glance at them or tap them on the leg. You don't have to make a big deal, but let them know, hey, like we need to have a real conversation. Because I believe that, that if we want to overcome being judgmental, instead of focusing on like not judging people, let's focus on loving people. Let's focus on going so far out of our way to love those around us. We no longer even notice the stuff that bothers us anymore. Let's, let's, let's maybe buy Starbucks for the person that's behind us in the drive-thru. 
You know, we're walking into the season of the fall and our neighbors are gonna start getting out and doing like fall cleanup and yard work. Well, how about you just walk across the yard and help, ask your neighbor, hey, how, how can I help you? How can I help you? Maybe, maybe you bring a plate of cookies to the office. Maybe today you, you make the commitment, I'm gonna sign up for a connect group and I'm gonna go so far out of my way to love those people in my group that I'm not even gonna notice the way that people bother me. So this morning, what I would love for each and every one of us to do is that, that on your way home or out to lunch or wherever you're going next, I, I want you to have a real conversation with the person sitting in the car next to you or if you're driving by yourself, call someone who's here and have a conversation with them. Say, hey, how do you plan on loving someone this week? And don't accept like generalities. Like, oh, I'm gonna, good vibes. Like, no, 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 that, that's bogus. That doesn't mean anything. Like, <laughs> I want you to get specific. How are you gonna love, how are you gonna go so far out of your way to love someone this week and get something very specific, all right? Let's pray.